0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture.
1: Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello everyone, welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for being with us and letting us be part of your day. As always, hope you are safe and well. Here's what we'll be talking about today. We have the latest Purdue CME Group Ag. Economy barometer numbers, we'll be talking with Michael Langemeyer, Purdue Ag Economist, about those and what uh, they uh, ask farmers and what the responses were. We're going to talk markets with Arlen Suderman with INTL, FC Stone, certainly a lot of questions around trade with China, we'll get into that. Blake Hurst, president of Missouri Farm Bureau, will join us. He has some interesting thoughts on livestock markets and our system And some of the calls for changes, we'll get his uh, thoughts on all that coming up later in the program. But we'll start things off with Phil Brasher from AgriPulse Communications. Phil, thanks for joining us.
2: Yeah, it's good to be here.
1: Lots going on. Let's start with the Senate. What are you seeing and hearing as far as another relief package that obviously we're watching for agriculture um are they going to do anything by the 4th of July let's say
2: uh they are in no rush or the majority leader Mitch McConnell is certainly in no rush taking the time and that's uh, that's what you hear from Senate Republicans as well obviously Senate Democrats uh, and uh, House Democrats pushing them to move much faster uh they just don't feel uh, republicans in the senate just don't feel the need to move too quickly uh they got through one issue one significant issue uh that uh, did have some urgency to it and that's with this paycheck protection program the forgivable loan program is a huge uh part of the cares act that passed back in march they added they, uh, the senate uh late yesterday uh cleared a bill but a house bill that uh provided some uh, new flexibility to that in terms of uh, how long businesses. This is a particular issue for restaurants, but there will also have benefit farms as well that would uh, extend the time that they have uh, that's covered by the uh, money in order for the loans to be forgiven. it's dealt with that. That takes a little bit of urgency out of them uh, passing something bigger. So we could uh, – doesn't look like they're going to do something by the July the 4th uh, maybe later in July uh, but we'll, we'll probably know more in the next couple of weeks
1: what are you hearing on the um, the food program where the USDA is uh, passing out these boxes of food to uh, those in need and we've heard good reports we've heard some questions raised about some of the companies involved what are you hearing
2: well, certainly a lot of concern uh, uh, in the uh, the produce industry about uh, some of the contracts they were awarded and, or not awarded. In uh, many cases, some of the bigger companies, uh, more experienced distributors, were, were not included. They have been. The, the industry has the produce industry has been reassured by USDA that uh, they're going to do a, a, another round of comp. After this round, which ends June 30th, is done, uh, they will be looking at uh, uh, new companies. That are, in fact, I know they are actively uh, uh, working on potential contracts. Uh, and uh, so, it, it provided some reassurance uh, to the to the produce industry in particular. Uh, uh, that in the next round, there will be uh, broader new new contracts awarded. Uh, new contractors. So far, the latest report from USDA is they've delivered 5 million boxes out of uh, 40, 40 million that they did this first round of, to end June 30th. So they're, they're a long way from getting there. It's been a little bit of a slow start, but this is a huge new program to stand up as well.
1: Yeah, a long ways to go yet on that. Meanwhile, Dicamba, back in the news, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has vacated the registrations of three Dicamba herbicides after finding that EPA substantially understated or even failed to consider the environmental and economic costs. So uh, here we go. More controversy, debate, and questions around Dicamba.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a... The Ninth Circuit... Uh Very often, uh, that's the Ninth Circuit being uh, based on the West Coast. uh, Often, uh, is is the go-to court for environmentalists and other advocates who are wanting to uh, either uh, change uh, environmental decisions or uh, get uh, the government to agencies like the EPA to. a uh, crackdown on, on various products and so forth. Uh, we'll have to see where this goes, but a major development in getting a, an appeals court decision. You'd have to get the uh, uh, Supreme Court to over to overturn so, or get involved. Want to get involved in a in a case like this? So we'll see where this goes. but a major development, no question.
1: Mm-hmm. And leaving some uh, growers kind of in limbo here and what on what to do. So we'll keep an eye on that. Meanwhile, you had a story this week about a White House effort to lower wages, Uh, farmers have to pay H-2A workers. Uh, Tell us about that story and what what, it doesn't look like at this point. There's going to be uh, any big reform there, does it?
2: Well, there was a story leaked back in April that the White House had undertaken an effort uh, led by the new chief of staff, Mark Meadows, to to somehow uh, reduce the required uh, wage rates for h2a workers uh these these wage rates have been rising substantially they're tied to a survey that usda does of farm labor wages uh, uh domestically uh there's a lot of concern about that uh, uh, the labor department put out a proposal to, re- to reform the formula somewhat but it didn't come close to making the changes that farm groups wanted and and in fact, the Farm Bureau uh, said in some cases actually increase wages. So, uh, but this, you know, there was a lot of criticism of the idea that the the White House would try to try to lower these wage rates when in the middle of this uh, 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 COVID uh, pandemic. And so, there was some there was some I think a little bit of anxiety. And, some parts of the ag community about the, uh, the optics of this, uh, in the end, uh, it doesn't appear that what they wanted to do. I'm told, uh, would have created some new regional disparities. Uh, there's also some questions, uh, I think within the administration about whether they could uh, really do this without statutory, uh, changes that uh, Congress would have to do, which is very, very difficult. So it doesn't look like it's, uh, doesn't look like this uh, effort is going anywhere
1: all right phil lots going on thanks uh, for the report and the update stay well we'll talk again soon yeah great to be here yeah thanks thank you phil brash here with agripulse communications all right we have the latest numbers from the purdue cme group ag economy barometer we'll get those numbers from purdue ag economist michael langemeyer coming up next on aoa Adams on agriculture
0: information america's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture
1: now back to mike adams well farmer sentiment actually improved a bit in may according to the latest numbers from the purdue cme group ag economy barometer here to tell us about them michael langemeyer purdue ag economist michael thanks for joining us so a little bit of a bounce back
2: yes definitely and uh, as you know, in January and February, we, the index was at all-time highs, uh, close to 170, dropped down significantly in March to 121, uh, hit, a, hit a bottom, uh, certainly for the last few years of 96 in April, and then it bounced back to 103 in May, so some slight improvement in May. And the slight improvement in May was both to the two sub-indices. Uh, the index of the current conditions increased about 10 points and the index of future expectations increased about five points. And so uh, one of the things that was happening while we were making phone calls uh, this time around is there was, was an announcement, uh, the details weren't all known, but there was an announcement related to the, the payments related to the CARES Act. And so I, I do think that helped uh, boost, the, boost the index in May compared to April.
1: Yeah, so you had the CARES Act, as you mentioned, you also had planting season going on, which for many, not all, but for many, it was certainly better this year than last year.
2: Yes, I think planting season went much smoother than last year, thank goodness. Uh, and, and it is interesting to, to note uh, the May index is about identical to what the May, May 2019 index was. And so that just tells you how, how pessimistic people were last May. Uh, because of all the planning difficulties and the price hadn't adjusted yet to the planning difficulties and so on. So I think that's kind of interesting that the index this month is very similar to the index last May.
1: What about COVID-19's impact on agriculture and upon farmers' attitudes uh, towards uh, their business operations moving forward?
2: Yes, we've been asking uh, two or three questions related to COVID-19 on the uh, during the last three months. Uh, One of the questions uh, is related to the impact of COVID-19 on farm profitability. And 71%, which is very consistent, uh, you know, each time we've asked this during each of the last three months, approximately 70% are fairly or very worried. And then we follow that up with a question related, what is your number one concern regarding COVID-19? And uh, the, the two largest responses are market access and financial concerns, and so certainly uh, the financial concerns, worried about working capital at the end of the year, is a concern. But also, there's quite a bit of concerns related to market access. Now, we've left that wide open, uh, and so market access could mean different things to, depending on who you're you're talking to. But I, I interpret that to mean uh, you know market access uh, related to to livestock. Uh, obviously, the, the packing plant, the packing plants have not been in capacity. Uh, either in the hog side or the cattle side, so that's been a concern. Uh, but also uh, the fact that uh, the uh, the ethanol plants haven't been operating at capacity is also a market access issue, and is very important to corn corn prices, obviously. And so I think both of those uh, both of those items are are, are uh, very much concern uh, to producers. In addition to the the fact that they're worried about their finances at the end of the year.
1: Yeah, the ethanol industry impacts uh, so many different uh, areas, uh, so many different segments of agriculture, you know, with your marketing corn or, or buying for livestock feed, uh, certainly rural economies. Uh, so what did they say specifically their, their concerns about the future of the ethanol industry?
2: Yeah, there was, there was a, a, a overwhelming percentage of the individuals uh, were worried about uh, the future of the ethanol industry. In fact, uh, 80% approximately were somewhat or very concerned about the future viability of the U.S. ethanol industry. And as you indicated, that just points to uh, how many people depend on that industry. And you know, It's not just corn producers. You know, Obviously, there's a lot of lives, livestock producers have incorporated DDGs into their rations. And when the plants weren't operating at capacity, either those DDGs were not available or they were available at a relatively high price. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, they came down a little bit net uh, recently, the DDG prices, uh, you know, uh, for several weeks during the, the, the COVID-19, um, you know, uh, sheltering in place uh, were quite high, uh, you know, compared to what they would be based on corn and soybean meal prices. And so uh, there was both an access uh, to DDGs, but also the price was relatively high.
1: We're talking with the Purdue Ag Economist, Michael Langemeyer, about the latest numbers in the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Uh what did uh, they have to say when you ask about cash rents and what they will be seeking from uh, their landlords?
2: Yeah, with the, with, the, with the financial returns expected to be relatively low compared to the last two or three years, uh, we, we decided to ask a question uh, related to renegotiation of cash rents. This would be cash rents for 2021. Uh, in a lot of places across the Corn Belt and Plains, those cash rents are negotiated in the fall uh, for the next year. And and so the first question we asked is, is uh, do you cash rent farmland? 70% of the people surveyed uh, rented rented farmland or cash rented farmland. Uh, you know, we didn't ask about share leases. And then of those folks, two thirds said they were not going to renegotiate the leases, which was a little bit surprising to me, uh, but it just tells you how difficult it is uh, to try to negotiate those those cash rents downward.
1: Big question always, how confident are farmers in their financial situation moving forward when it comes to making big purchases, large investments, machinery, buildings, things like that?
2: Yes, and that index, the farm capital investment index is what we call that. That index did increase from 38 to 50 but anything under 100 uh, is an indicator that uh, that that people do not necessarily think this is a good time to invest in machinery. Uh, and, and so uh, the percentage that think it's a good time to invest in machinery has been running right at about 20% to 25%. And, and that's no big surprise. I mean, if your cash flow is – if you think your cash flow is going to be relatively low this fall, you're probably not going to invest uh, heavily uh, in farm machinery. <laughs>
1: Certainly, we mentioned this earlier, the CARES Act, the assistance that's been provided so far for agriculture uh, has certainly played a part in, in uh, farmers' attitudes. What did they say when you asked about whether they think more assistance will be needed?
2: Not surprisingly, I, I don't think anyway. Two-thirds of the people surveyed indicated they thought more uh, you know, government uh, payments were going to be needed uh, to shore up cash flows. Uh, and, and again, we were doing this survey while the while the CARES Act was being rolled out, or at least being announced, and so and so I, I interpret that as meaning that that's not going to be quite enough uh, in, in their mind, uh, and 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 so you know overwhelming majority thought uh, that that we'd ha- we'd have higher government payments later, you know, have some government payments later this year.
1: So you said the May numbers this year are similar to last May. What about looking ahead to? Uh, next month, when you release June, uh, the June report, uh, the numbers, uh, what happened at last June? What that we'll be comparing to? Uh, did we see a big difference May to June last year?
2: Yeah, it jumped in June, but but I, I don't necessarily think we're going to see as big a jump uh, from this May to 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 June this year. Last year, uh, you know, we had all the planting difficulties in May, and and more people were able to get that crop in in early June for corn. And then late June for soybeans, and so the index did jump from about a 100 to 125 uh, last year. Uh, I, I think I don't think the index is necessarily going to decline in June, but I, I expect it to be relatively flat. Uh, you know, something something around that 105 to 110, maybe slightly higher than the May index this year. And, and the reason for that is unless we see an announcement of, of more government payments or. Or an increase in, in in corn or soybean meal prices or livestock prices. There's nothing to suggest uh, that that index would increase dramatically.
1: Has to be difficult for you as you try to ask questions that that are current with what's going on, when things are changing not only daily but by the hour and, in a big way.
2: Yeah, it's it's really difficult. And one of the things we've done is we've tried to reduce the time between when we, when we ask the uh, when we call people up. Uh, and get the survey responses and the release date. Uh, we used to have another week uh, in, in, in that between those two periods. We've tried to reduce that um, because of this.
1: Yeah, because otherwise, in some cases, the way things are happening now, uh, things could change quite a bit from the time you take that survey to the time they come out. Right.
2: Yes, and, and one of the things that that gives us confidence that you know that the sediment doesn't doesn't jump too willy nilly. Uh, if you will, or is too volatile to what's happening in the current situation. And you know, we ask some questions consistently month after month, and, and the results are, are quite consistent uh, with the movement in the index. For example, we ask questions related to land values, and those seem to move in tandem uh, you know, with the, right. with the Ag Economy Ag- Barometer Index. And so it gives us confidence that you know, the, the, the sediment is, is not too volatile.
1: Always interesting to see those numbers each month. Michael, thanks for being with us. We'll talk again next month.
2: You bet. Look forward
0: to
1: it. Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langemeyer. Up next, we'll talk markets with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
1: Always good to talk with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with INTL, FC Stone. Arlen, good to have you back with us. Let's start with China. All these questions, are they buying? Have they stopped buying? Uh, What's the latest?
2: Uh, They seem to be buying. We're getting daily announcements of sales to either China and or unknown destinations, largely believed to be China. Uh, our cash sources are indicating that they're in the market virtually every day, inquiring on prices and seeming to be making purchases. The, the rumor had been that they had, uh, were preparing to make a very large purchase at the end of last week. Um, that probably would have had a, a significant impact on the market. Um, and then the story came out, of course, over the weekend that, you uh, uh, authorities had told state buyers to halt purchases of u.s soybeans as well as pork Um, and generally private buyers are going to do the same because they're going to sense some anxiety and be fearful Uh, but uh, talking to our shanghai office it just didn't make sense we didn't think if there was a halt that it would last long and sure enough it didn't they were buyers again on monday but buyers every day it appears to me like rather than make one big purchase, it's, oh, wait a minute, let's not move the market like that. Let's just quietly come in and buy, uh, you know, two or three cargos every day and, uh, and and do it that way and have a less impact on the market.
1: Every action by China and each story between the U.S. and China, uh, everyone tries to read between the lines or look behind the scenes. uh What's the, how big a gap is there between what we see and hear in the media and what's actually taking place?
2: Uh, there's a big gap oftentimes. Um, and uh, even what China officially says, um, and, and even the United States, when we were in the trade war, there would be numerous headlines uh, about uh, trade talks are falling apart because China says it's going to or not going to do such and such, and the U.S., same thing. All that's positioning, and uh, both sides have learned how to use the media very well to try to uh, position themselves to get an advantage over the other. And I always say with China in particular, don't pay attention to what it says. Pay attention to what it does. And we know particularly after going through the coronavirus that that has really heightened their fears of shortages, and they simply cannot get enough soybeans to get them to the South American harvest unless they buy a significant amount of soybeans from the United States. They cannot survive without our pork right now. They'll have shortages once again. Uh, and they don't want that. They fear that. And, in fact, not only do they need to buy um, their daily needs, but uh, there is, after the coronavirus created shortages, as they shut everything down, supply lines during their outbreak, um, There's the hardliners within the Communist Party seem to really gain the upper hand on the need to maintain reserves and to rebuild those reserves. And right now, U.S. prices are very cheap on the world market from a historical standpoint, and it's good timing for them to buy and build those reserves, take advantage of this opportunity. Uh, It's not out of the goodness of their heart that they're buying. It's that it's to their advantage that they're buying.
1: So everyone wants to kind of have this running account, this scorecard, if you will, of whether or not china's meeting phase one trade deal obligations and certainly i don't think there was anything in there really about a a, a weekly amount they needed to buy or a monthly amount it was kind of yearly wasn't it so but obviously you don't want if they get too far behind the feeling is well how how are they going to buy enough at the end to to, uh, to get there so where do you feel they are and are they kind of on track or not to meet phase one
2: well, the, the commitment for 2020 was $36.5 billion. I do not expect them to hit that. Um, they say that they imported $5.05 billion in the first quarter. Um, the USDA says it was $3.35 billion. So difference in accounting and what you count and how you count it. And uh, you would anticipate that we would have a little bit more conservative wars. They would be trying to throw everything in, trying to find a way to amplify the numbers or or pump them up a little bit. Um, So that's by quarter. That's through the month of March. Um, And so we won't have second quarter data for a while. I think that a realistic goal at this point is somewhere in the 20 to 25 billion range. Uh, If they could get to 25 billion, that would be approaching record levels. Uh, It would be far short of the 36 and a half billion. I think that we probably had a chance of $36.5 billion until coronavirus hit. I think at that point, then it became more, okay, maybe we can hit $30 billion. Uh, But now with the new tensions um, over Hong Kong and, and coronavirus, I think uh, we're probably hoping to get uh, somewhere in the $25 billion range. I think we'll see a, a significant uptick in shipments to China, of ag commodities in the second half of this year. It will not be record-busting, probably, uh, but it will feel good to at least finally have some demand.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, that's Arlen Suderman with INTLFC Stone. Arlen, let's look now at the uh, livestock sector, and, of course, we focus on what's happening with the with the packing plant. So where are we and as we try to work our way through this uh, Backlog. We heard Steve Meyer with Kearns & Associates yesterday say he's now saying 2.4 million uh, head of hogs backlogged and that we've euthanized a half a million head uh, so far. Uh, what are your numbers on that?
2: Yeah, we're saying that uh, we missed out on slaughtering about 3.3 million head. So if you back off of that, we're just a little bit higher than him if you back off that half million euthanized. Um, and then 1.3 million head of cattle. And so we're going to be working through that surplus through the rest of the year, looks like. Um, it, it's just uh, going to take us a long time to do so. Carcass weights are high. We're pushing more product through, and as you can see, we're refilling the, the product pipeline, which is why product prices are collapsing so fast right now and providing a drag on the board. Uh, particularly lean hogs, and, of course, cattle are already uh, below where the cash is, expecting the cash to come down. Um, If you look at break-even prices, we generally think around $62. We don't reach that until April futures of next year, Uh, so we got a long ways to go before we have profitability and start expanding herd again. Right now, we're contracting both cattle and the hog breeding herds.
1: Uh, we talked with Gary Schnitke from the University of Illinois the other day. He, he was projecting for, and he was looking at Illinois corn soybean farms. Uh, when we were looking at ag income for this year, he was projecting minus $2 an acre. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Well I think that's probably in the ballpark. Um, I think where we'd be without the government payments. I know farmers would rather farm for profitability and not government payments, but it's government payments that's helped support and maintain uh, farm um, values, equity values, land values, and uh, help keep them above water. Uh, But we've got to turn things around. We need demand to do that. We're overproducing. Uh, We're overproducing in the world. It is a world market and uh, Uh, with expectations of a 3.3 billion bushel corn crop. It's hard to imagine how we're going to turn that around this year unless we have a significant weather event. Any Chinese buying of corn or corn products would be unexpected demand, so that would be a positive and uh, an opportunity to improve things on the farm, um, but it's yet unknown whether we'll do that. We continue to hear interest from our buyers in China. Um, But whether the government will allow it and open that door uh, is yet to be seen. But uh, that type of thing is needed in order to improve farm income. And once we get past election year, um, then it becomes riskier whether we even have that government assistance.
1: Yeah, a lot of concerns about 2021 already.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so we need to do what we can to improve the demand to um, certainly get ethanol demand back. And there's that expectation we'll, that we'll do that. And with people reluctant to fly, there's a growing sentiment that maybe they'll drive more places than fly and maybe we'll take gasoline consumption, therefore demand for ethanol higher than what it was previously. That's yet to be seen, but that's one working theory out there right now. Um, but, uh, uh, we need the exports, we need ethanol, we need to re- rebuild the livestock herd. Right now, I think USDA is probably a little over, overly optimistic on their feed use adjustments for next year, trying to soften that ending stocks estimate um, when we're contracting the herds. It's a little bit difficult to see how we'll expand that much.
1: Hard to see a big rally in the grain markets right away unless something unexpected happens.
2: Well, we have huge short positions in the corn market right now because corn has become the favorite uh, commodity to uh, get shorted against everything else. Uh, So if something would happen to scare those shorts out, we could certainly see a rally occur. Uh, You would anticipate if that's going to happen, it would happen sometime in um, June or July, probably the first part of July as we look ahead at the pollination period in the forecast. Will it happen? We don't know. Uh, but it would probably take a significant event with that big of projected ending stocks to really get a meaningful rally.
1: All right, Arlen, as always, good to talk with you. Thanks for your thoughts and perspectives. We'll talk again soon.
2: Thank you, Mike.
1: Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for FC Stone. Well, a lot of questions about uh, how the livestock markets are functioning and investigations are underway. A lot of people calling for some major changes and uh, uh, doing away with the current system. Others say tweak it or refine it. We'll get some thoughts from Missouri Farm Bureau President Blake Hurst and uh, what he's seeing and hearing when it comes to the livestock marketing system. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. (music)
0: information America's farmers and ranchers need to know Adams on agriculture
1: now back to Mike Adams and welcome back a lot of questions around livestock markets uh because of COVID-19 but you know if we really stop and look at it there were a lot of questions by some uh, of our livestock marketing system before COVID-19 this just has highlighted it even more we have investigations going on by USDA uh I want to get some thoughts on this from Blake Hurst, president of Missouri Farm Bureau, who joins us now. Blake, thanks for being with us. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, what you're hearing about livestock markets, the questions that have been brought up again? As I said, some of those questions were there before COVID-19. Uh, what are your thoughts on also some of the suggestions or ideas you're hearing about the changes to be made?
2: Well, uh,
0: we've certainly had a lot of uh, concern Amongst farmers, uh, that uh, the, the, the prices don't make much sense. Um, we we saw you know a long time concern just about concentration and particularly cattle markets, but also in hog and and, and of course the, the the poultry market's a little bit different deal. But 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 again, uh, complex between uh, integrators and, and farmers that I uh, have a chance to talk to. So so all kinds of concern, and we had the Holcomb fire last summer. Uh, which caused real disruption in the market even though uh, when we look back over the statistics statistics of actual uh, slaughter they were able to pretty well absorb that loss and continue to slaughter cattle and yet we saw uh, farm prices drop a bunch and uh, and box beef prices increase a lot and increasing parker packer margins at a time when it's not really clear why that happened Uh, then we we roll into covid which is uh, obviously not anybody's fault um, but 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 again, we see, we see increasing packer margins. We see uh, empty store shelves. We see uh, farmers taking really unprofitable prices. And then to top it all off, yesterday the Department of Justice uh, indicted several uh, executives in the chicken business for price fixing. So I think farmers are pretty uh, concerned, and they have every right to be.
1: Senator Grassley introduced a, a bill requiring 50% of cattle be traded in open markets. NCBA has expressed concern about, about that approach. What are your thoughts?
0: Well, that's a, that's a big step. Uh, as you know, in, in Iowa, um, probably 50% of, of, of cattle that go to market are traded in open-type uh, open negotiation. Uh, in other parts of the country, it's much, much lower. And overall, I think it's less than a quarter of cattle are actually traded on open markets. So the question has to be is that enough uh, to set the price, uh, to set the prices that are used in these formulas? Um, you know, we have producers that uh, market uh, using a grid, using the formula, and uh, feel like it's to their advantage because the quality of their animals. Uh, we have a lot of producers that feel like they're just not enough. Uh, no negotiation and enough transparency in the market. So I think that I have no idea if 50% is the right number. It seems like a pretty big big move from the 20% we are now, but I do think that uh, more transparency would be a very good thing.
1: If nothing else, COVID-19 has shown us that our system, when – when working right can be very efficient, but also if you get something like this, and obviously something like this has been very unexpected, but it shows it's hard for that to be flexible and to adjust. It also shows where the weaknesses are in the in the food supply chain. Do you expect changes post COVID nineteen?
0: Oh yeah, I think we will see changes. Obviously, there's huge interest in uh, uh,
1: in, in just farm to market
0: uh, marketing of animals where. We signed up, I think, 500 people in the state of Missouri. they farmers who are willing to sell directly to consumers, or consumers have an interest in buying directly from farmers for, for pork and beef. And the problem becomes um, the capacity of these smaller packer plants are just the you know the slaughter plants that we all uh, used to have on our main street and no longer do. Uh, we've got to we've got to see how we can help uh, expand that part of the industry. I don't know. Uh, when you look at the capacity of, uh, of the Holcomb plant or the Triumph pork plant in St. Joseph or the, or the Smithfield plant in North Carolina that I think handles about 7% of the total hogs killed every day go through one plant, it's going to take a heck of a lot of small plants to make a big difference in that kind of marketing, um, in that kind of uh, industry. But it will be good for consumers and it'll be good for the farmers that, that, that can hopefully get some kind of relationship with the local plant and local consumers. So, so we're going to see those changes. Uh, the problem with this idea that by building more plants we can avoid a pandemic is that we saw smaller plants uh, go down, too, because of illness among the workers. We don't have – I'm not sure we have a resiliency problem when we're facing a pandemic – as much as we do a redundancy problem in other words we just need more capacity and nobody's willing to make that investment if it's not going to run full uh, every day of the year so it's a, it's a real catch-22 situation
1: i mentioned that investigations into livestock markets are underway they've been going on for some time uh, these things tend to drag on and on and by the time there you get any answers you've almost forgotten what the original questions were and in most cases uh, people that had concerns going into it aren't satisfied with the results of these investigations
0: well we need to uh we need to step up the pace i mean a lot of these investigations started way last august after the holcomb fire and we still got we don't have any preliminary results we don't have any idea where they're uh what, what what's happening um i know um the legal system works very 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 slowly and so cases like the uh like the Poltergeist, I'm sure have been going on. That grand jury, I'm sure, has been meeting for for months, if not years, before they handed down those indictments. Um, but 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 people have been studying livestock markets. They've been thinking about them. There's lots of ag economists around the country and at USDA, and elsewhere that that are experts on this. We should have results by now, and they need to uh, they need to step up the pace. And I'm suspicious that the reason we haven't seen results is that people are waiting for uh, the present situation to to get better, for people's emotions to cool a little bit. Uh, And I don't think that's the answer right now. We need some. We need some. We won't get uh, total answers on what's the right thing to do, but we need more information than we have now. All
1: right. Like you said, there are more questions than answers about our livestock markets. Blake, good to talk with you. Thanks for being with us.
0: You bet. Thank you.
1: Missouri Farm Bureau President Blake Hurst. That wraps it up for today. Stay safe, everyone. Join us again tomorrow right here on AOA.